Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, our 15th season, part two, showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by BDO Canada. My name is Sandrine Rastello, standing in for Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of BDO. Mike, great to be back on the show. It's great to have you back, Sandrine. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a little while, but uh, it's, nice, it's nice to have you here. Well, we'll be talking colorful things today. We'll be talking menswear with Anna Martini, the CEO of Psycho Bunny. It's a Montreal brand known for its skull and crossbones with the bunny ears and the logo. And it has big expansion plans. It's not afraid of brick and mortar. Actually, it wants more brick and mortar stores. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting. They didn't ask me to discuss uh, my fashion sense, so uh, I guess we're going to have to rely on Anna's for a sense of uh, of fashion and direction and uh, and where she's going. It, it's fascinating. I mean, it, I think the the new product is great, uh, and I think Anna's story is 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 also pretty awesome. I mean, for uh, she's been a long long time staple in the Montreal financial uh, community. Uh, started out as as a CPA, she's an FCPA, and has done some great things, including. Dynamite, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and and now with uh, with Psycho Bunny. XCPA, what's not to like? <laughs> uh, we're trying to keep the audience going here. Let's let's not put them to sleep too soon here. <laughs> Plus, later in the show, Shelly Smith, indirect tax partner at BDO Canada, joins us to discuss updates to the underused housing tax. But first, let's take a look at some current event issues and. You've chosen a couple of stories that really reflect the aspiration of younger generations today. There's there's a fortune story about uh, millennials being prepared to take a pay cut to, for better work-life balance. And there's also a New York Post stories about Gen Z's wanted uh, more honest bosses. Um, what are your takeaways as a, as a manager? Lots of frustration. Um, you know, it, it's it's very interesting. It, it is obviously the continued uh, trends that we're seeing in the in the workforce. Um, it does create a very different environment, uh, and for especially for a lot of the traditional uh, type businesses that are used to longstanding employees, loyal employees. I mean, we've been we we've been getting this taste of uh, of change coming for a number of years. I think uh, COVID essentially accelerated it probably five years, uh, but this was already beginning a while back. And and this is this the whole discussion of work life balance. Uh, and the discussion. So a couple of the articles this week are actually very interesting that, you know, they're saying that, uh, you know, up to 60 percent uh, in North America of millennials are willing to sacrifice up to a 20 percent pay cut uh, for the sake of achieving a better work life balance. Um, and, you know, and, and I don't think any of us look at this as right or wrong. I mean, we have our personal opinions, obviously, but I'm not sure we look at it as right and wrong from a, a human aspect. It's just it's just so traditionally against what, uh, you know, the the older generations of where you, you worked and, and, and that was, you know, part of it was it was a five day work week. You know, we're looking at this discussion saying, well, we're going to take a 20 percent paycheck uh, cut to your paycheck. So, you know, when, when I do the math, well, you know, what, what does that look like? Well, that, you know, looks like, hey, I'm going to only work four days a week. Right. And, and, and I think that's where the trend continues to go. Uh, I think the complication for most people is when that pay cut doesn't come uh, with a commensurate uh, reduction in work and the amount of work. Uh, I don't think there are too many people out there that have a problem with a 20% pay cut to work four days a week. 
I, I think it's obviously uh, the CPA in me says it's mathematically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and ethically speaking, it seems fine. The problem you have is when people want to make the hundred cent dollars while working the 80%. And, and I think this is where the balance is starting to come out. And I think what we're starting to see in a lot of the literature coming out is that there seems to be a little bit more of a meeting of the minds that um, maybe we shouldn't get 100% for 80% work. And, and I think that's what some of these, the, the kind of the undertone of some of these articles that I'm reading this week are in sense, uh, you know, the, the looking at that going, you know what, you want you want to work less? I don't have a problem with it, but it's going to come with, with, with a little bit less money because somebody has to pick up the other day's work somewhere in that exercise. Mm-hmm. The other thing that the other thing I just want to say the other thing that's interesting is you know only you know forty three percent of uh, of Gen Xers and a mere thirty three percent of baby boomers uh, want to take that pay cut. As a matter of fact, for a lot of the baby boomers, they don't want to retire; they want to continue to keep working afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean, what's interesting with the with the second story on that is that okay, so you know companies are getting more creative, uh, you know uh, how to make people happy, uh, and then you have these 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 data on Gen Z workers you know, and the expectations of uh, they want, uh, you know, they value integrity, honesty, all good things. And then you get to that point where they say 48% intend to leave their jobs this year. (laughs) So why? You make all this effort and then ciao. So what you just said is exactly my philosophy is, you know, you'd make all this effort and then goodbye. The reality is we can't look at it like that anymore. The reality is we have to look at it and say, we know that this is going to be the case. We need to build and structure around the fact that the younger generations are going to be needing to be engaged, needing to be actively involved with what they're doing, but knowing that that no longer translates to a retention and or uh, excessive efficiency and 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 overtime. So we, we need to be, a, a, you know, you ask the question, what does that mean as a manager? Well, it means that we, not, we start to have to expect that regardless of how much effort we're going to put forward in order to make that job uh, a, an employment that is favorable, desirable, it's not going to be a 20-year one. And the other part of this article that I, I found very interesting is you know, you brought up the discussion of uh, integrity over learning experience. And, you know, at, at one point in, 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 well, certainly in my career, I'm sure in yours is, you know, part of this exercise was you wanted to get as much experience as you could. You talked to people, you listened to people, you took the good, you took the bad, you took the ugly, you know, you watched interaction. Uh, that was also a byproduct of being in the office every day. Oh, today's world's not in the office every day. You don't get that same visual experience watching people work. You don't get to watch body language. So they're not, they're not, favoring is much of the experience. So what does that mean? It means that, you know, somebody at my stage of career that has 35 years of experience in, in the profession is not as highly valued from the younger generation as it once was as being kind of that sage or wisdom, uh, you know, voice of, uh, of wisdom at the end of the day. And I think we need to learn to accept that. And I'll be honest with you, I'm having a bit of a problem with that personally. I, you know, I, I would expect people would want to hear the, the, the things that got me to where I got to. And in essence, they're really not. They just want to make sure that what I'm doing for them and helping them is providing them with an environment that they are safe and that has integrity and if there's they're in they're engaged and and there's a bit of a let's call it an expectation gap that comes with all of this and yeah of course there's nothing wrong about you know that that's helping you become a better human but uh, as a journalist uh, working in, a, in an open space I, I did become a better journalist hearing my colleagues on the phone uh, doing their interviews I'm not sure um you know I mean I guess if if 
come back to the office, you can still hear people. But now, of course, with this hybrid model, I'm just not sure how you improve on that front. But but let's move on to, to the other story, another topic you enjoy, AI. Uh, the Harvard Business Review had an interesting uh, story about choosing the right AI approach because there's been so much frenzy around generative AI and you kind of feel that if you're not using it, you're really a loser. <laughs> but yeah. I think this story gives you, uh, you know, some, some ref helps you reflect on going at it methodically and what you actually need and how do you choose? Yeah, there, I mean, basically, there, uh, there's four categories uh, of AI. Uh, we all pretty much live in the world of generative AI thought process as the commonplace dabbler, if you will, in the AI world. So the chat GPTs and, you know, all of this. Uh, basically, what that is doing is that is creating an environment. Uh, it's almost like uh, creating a real-time information. More information goes into the system, the bigger the database gets populated, the more the next time that information is thrown into the next answer that comes up. Uh, the good part about that is that it's constantly evolving, right? It's a bit like our brains at the end of the day where it's generating something new. It is it is taking something, it's taking the experience we talked about in the last piece and saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do with it now going forward. The problem is, is that type of thing is not creating a consistent model or a consistent answer that's coming out um, because you're not getting the same thing. So when you're sitting down to choose what AI do you want to, are you going to look at this and say, I need the next answer to be more advanced as it picks up information, or do I need this information to be consistent along the way? Well, if you're living in the world where uh, financial information and the consistency of financial information is, is needed, Generative AI is not going to create that consistency. So you have to start be looking at some of the uh, the, the others. I mean, you're talking about uh, econometrics, which, uh, I mean, quickly, I guess, is relative to complexity and expensive machine learning. Uh, this is traditional statistics, can sometimes perform well at a lower cost. So it's a statistical-based model uh, that is is relatively quick in processing. I mean, the early AI models that we all had, which was kind of these rule-based, which goes back to the way of, you know, if you ever did any programming, it was if-then. That was kind of that model that was created under the rule-based. So you have to look at some of these things that are creating uh, straightforward, understandable, interpretable, and transparent type of information. Again, I go back to the financial. If you need the same information, you need to be looking at what kind. So when you're when you're choosing all of this, you need to ask yourself five questions, right? And, and what is the cost of being wrong, right? If the cost of being wrong is nothing because it's about learning and it's evolving and going forward, then generative AI is 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 kind of your 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 preferred model. To look at. You need to explain the decision your model makes. Well, then you need to have a statistical-based environment that allows you to say, hey, this is where it came from. This is how we generated. But if you need this ongoing financial component to things, it needs to be consistent. You need to find a model that generates the same answer every time. So, you know, you need to be looking at all of this and saying, you know, what is it? that I want to get out of the information. And, you know, we all know garbage in, garbage out, right? Which would all we, we all learned in our first computer class. Uh, and and this, is, this is no different. And what I found interesting in the story is that they do mention big companies, KLM, Boeing, and how they use different, a little bit of everything. Some problems just don't need something that fancy. Exactly. Well, thank you, Mike. Our guest today is Anna Martini, CEO of Psycho Bunny, which recently made headlines for its partnership with Tennis Canada. But first thing first, Anna, what is PsychoBuddy? Well, good morning. 
Uh, nice to meet all of you. Uh, so Psycho Bunny is, uh, I would say, the fastest growing global premium menswear brand in the world. So we will be taking over the world. Uh, we we uh, recently opened our first uh, few stores in Canada in the last few years, but it is a, a, a retailer brand with uh, over 85 stores in North America, uh, about 50 stores in Latin America. Um, and it is uh, one of the most exciting brands uh, to uh, hit Canada. When did it come to Canada? I mean, I don't think it was started initially in Canada, right? So there's a little bit of a history that uh, that, that brought it here. So it was born in uh, New York and moved uh, moved to uh, Montreal, and uh, the first uh, few stores in Canada opened in uh, 2022. So the uh, I, I got asked the question. I mean, there's no doubt. Just the name Psycho Bunny, the logo, the bunny with the crossbones, uh, obviously catches my attention. I look at it and go, "This is cool. This is fun." Is there anything deeper here, or is that just what it is? Cool and fun. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. It's uh, spontaneous. It's uh, it's uh, it's colorful. Um, it's really, it makes you smile when you look at this logo. In terms of the, you're, you're talking premium menswear. So what is separating it from, I mean, first of all, what kind of menswear, right? I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, we're talking polos. We're talking, we're not talking suits and ties, which I guess these days are not that exciting anymore. Anyways, if you're a retailer. Well, firstly, it's, you know, for sure it's, it's, a, it's, it's casual uh, premium men's uh, brand. Um, you know, we've have got uh, polos and t-shirts. We do actually also can dress the man. Uh, or the young the young man uh, in terms of tops and bottoms, um, but the, the whole spirit is around you know dressing somebody from day to night, uh, being able to wear stuff when it's just hanging around and playing, and also in terms of what we would call sport sportwear, you know so, you know polo sport polos to go and play golf to play tennis and so on. Yeah, you, I, I don't remember if it was this summer or the summer before, but you had promoted uh, through one of the golf tournaments I was playing at, at at Royal Montreal, and that was kind of my first exposure to to all of this. And you know, it, it, you get your you get your goodie bag when you show up, and here's this psycho bunny sitting on it. I didn't even know what it was at that point. I mean, not that I'm the the height of fashion on a good day, but you know, I looked at this and I thought, wow, this is this this this, this is pretty cool. Is this going to be a fad or is this going to take off? But it is everywhere now. It is everywhere, and we're going to continue to go everywhere. What What are you doing for marketing? How are you driving this forward? I mean, is this just ongoing? I know you've got the blog on the website. I know, like you're talking about the number of stores you're promoting in terms of golf tournaments, and 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 where, how are you getting this out there? And 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 how are you creating the buzz? So we're creating the buzz in a few different ways. Uh, you know, we most most recently probably heard about our our uh, partnership with Tennis Canada. Um, so that's a pretty interesting, you know, call it a community that uh, we're going to be investing in. Uh, and that's that's great for us from an exposure and marketing perspective. Um, most recently, we uh, we we signed an ambassador partnership with Bill Buxton. So mm -hmm. if you're an F1, um, an F1 lover, you know, Bill uh, Will Buxton is uh, on Drive to Survive. Uh, you know, so that's a very, uh, again, important partnership for us. Um, you know, we continue to have, a you know, relationships with ambassadors pretty much all over you could say like all over the world, but you know, in 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 Latin America and 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 the U.S. And you know, at the end of the day, we also have a lot of stores. So you know, the stores are a, a huge you know call it call it an awareness vehicle for us. Uh, with you know over eighty five stores in uh, North America is is a great kind of marketing presence for for the brand. Your partnership with Tennis Canada also covers uh, female players, right? So which is yes. not usually your your traditional market. Is this the beginning of something? 
so we have uh, you know tapped in very lightly in uh, in uh, female apparel. We, we we just do a very small you know call it a very small drop collection around holiday time to really give product for the entire family. Uh, in terms of Tennis Canada's partnership, for sure, like we're addressing the men and we're addressing the women and the kids. Um, but we'll see. Maybe we will expand uh, the women's uh, collection uh, in the future. You doing any other sponsorships around the world besides uh, Tennis Canada? Uh, right, right now, this is our first like big, you know, sponsorship uh, in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of tennis. So I think it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, playground for us to uh, uh, to to play in and to perfect. And uh, who knows? Uh, we'll take it. You know, we'll take it all over the world. So you mentioned Will Buxton, and I'm sure there's a few others. You have a, you have an influencer program. You want yes, to, we do. Uh, do you want you want to discuss? And the reason that that's top of mind is I was uh, I was in uh, uh, Hanoi, Vietnam recently with a client, and uh, and in Tokyo, and everywhere I turned, all I saw was picture taking and influencer kind of you know in front of stores early in the morning, and it was just it, it, it significantly more visual I think than we're used to here in in North America. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, the, the world of uh, influencers, uh, they are important for, you know, for every brand that's, uh, you know, trying to be present and, uh, you know, trying to be uh, top of mind. So we do have an, in, like, we have an influencer uh, program. We've got uh, probably about, you know, 15 influencers that uh, are, you know, important brand ambassadors for us. And we are like, it's, you know, we've got people, you know, call it marketing people that are full time, uh, you know, working with these influencers, looking for new influencers. You know, it's an important it's an important mar marketing uh, vehicle for you know for mo for most brands. So can we get into a little bit in terms of what the influencer model looks like? Because I keep getting questions from people going, I don't understand why. How does an influencer get paid? What's the purpose of all of this? I try and explain it. It's a little bit like the old you know paid uh, paid individual when you when you brought in George Clooney to uh, promote your product. So I guess it's mm -hmm. the newer version of that, right? Yeah, it's a newer version. I mean, you know, at the end of, you want to get uh, one is you want to get uh, you want to get influencers that love the brand. You know, it's not just, it shouldn't be, it should never, I don't think it should be a tactic of where you're just putting it on somebody and, you know, put them out there and hope for the best. But it's really people that are, you know, have an attachment to the brand, believe in the brand, believe in, you know, the energy of the brand. And these are the kind of influencers that like we want to work with. Um, for sure, these uh, these influencers have followership. You know, that's, you know, that's why they're called influencers, but they have, <laughs> they have followership and it becomes, you know, also the quality of their followership. So there's, you know, there's a lot of details in when you when you're looking at these type of programs. So when you're looking at influencers, are you looking at using them uh, on a local basis? Are you looking around the world? Is this promoting elsewhere? Uh, I mean, I, 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 I can't. Over. Okay. It's, nah, there's no there's no boundaries with influencers. Right. The reason I asked the question is because you know the influencer concept is is, is pretty uh, is pretty routine for the younger generation, but certainly for the older generation, it's it's a little bit out there, I guess, in terms of concept and uh, and and moving. So it's it's quite interesting. Um, from your perspective, the, the the direction of the market. I mean, obviously, we've seen uh, the the formal suit type environment continue to be replaced by uh, premium menswear, which is where you guys are. I, I'm assuming that this is a continued move forward, as far as you're concerned, and we're not going to see uh, old dinosaurs like me in suits five days a week for much longer. Well, I think the, you know the world of you know the three piece suits I think has kind of died. Um, however, I think uh, the man still wants to look good and feel good. So one of the things that uh, we are really focusing on is uh, if you look at three aspects of uh, dressing, like dressing a man would be sort of his day to night. So he'll go to work and then he'll go have dinner or a, a cocktail after work. Uh, he's just going to lounge around what we call play. 
just, you know, sort of hang around watching a football game with his friends or with his wife or his children. Um, and then, you know, there's like what he does from a sports point of view, you know, does he, does he play golf? Does he play tennis? Does he hike? So it's really those three aspects that are, are, are important for us. Um, interestingly, uh, with regards to suiting, uh, you, so we are not a typical men's brand that's going to, you know, that's going to do structured suits, but we are sort of tapping into call it like casual, a casual blazer, uh, uh type of thing more than, you know, a structured suit. Right. Not, not, not the old summer suit and seersucker mentality, but more exactly. of a sport coats and, uh, and, uh, and khakis or sport coat and, and whatever. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Psycho Buddy initially started on, on ties, didn't it? It did originally, originally, originally. How far back does the, does the name go and, and, and the original concept? Well, the, the, the two founders, uh, you know, was started, like started this toy business back in like 2008. So it's, it's a while back, but it was, it was very, very small business in a, like they start off in the Thai business. Um, let's go a little bit into your personal path and, you know, how uh, that shapes up what you're doing now. I was thinking about that earlier because with this new partnership with Tennis Canada, I mean, you have a lot of experience in sport now coming from the Canadien de Montréal uh, just before. So tell us a little bit about um, that full circle you did from fashion to sport back to fashion. Uh, so uh, let me start with, I have a, a tremendous deep love for uh, the world of uh, brands and retail. So I've spent uh, most of my career in that in that industry sector. So I'm very passionate about it. Um, I started my career at Deloitte. Um, I, was, uh, I was an audit partner, very involved in the retail practice, like running the practice here in Quebec. And then I left to go to Dynamite and Garage. So I spent about 13 years uh, in retail uh, as a president of Dynamite and Garage. And then I left and went into the world of sports for like almost six years. So learned a tremendous, tremendous amount of bunch of different things around the world of sports. Uh, and now I'm back to my original passion of retail. So that kind of is a little bit my uh, my full circle of how I ended up at, uh, at uh, Psycho Bunny. Uh, for yeah. sure, my uh, experience in sports is um, is certainly helping in our partnership with uh, Tennis Canada, just because of my deep understanding of you know how sponsorships and partnerships work and and so on. So it's 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 been quite helpful. Yeah, it's definitely not your first rodeo, that's for sure. And uh, you know, I think uh, within within the financial circles in Montreal, I think you're quite well known. Uh, so it's you know, it's interesting. I, I'm sure you've learned a few things along the way, as we all have. We've made a few mistakes as as we go through life. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that you've picked up? And uh, I guess if you want to go from Deloitte onward, uh, you know, things that you picked up that you're like, oh, you know, I didn't I didn't see this properly or I didn't see this coming. And 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 what is it from a management side? I mean, obviously, you're very highly involved here. What is it from a management side that you continue to uh, to learn? Well, I think firstly, I think I was fortunate enough uh, to have spent most of my career in uh, successful businesses, like businesses that have grown. So, you know. Along the way, there's definitely many lessons uh, learned. Uh, in the situation of a psycho bunny, it's I would call it relatively uh, younger puppy, um, and you know that's on a fast uh, growth uh, trajectory, uh, which really means that uh, you have to have uh, quite quite a lot of discipline. Uh, so when things are growing fast, you still need a lot of discipline to make sure you. Uh, I, I say we're always going to make mistakes, but you know how do we de-risk sort of some of these uh, some of these mistakes and. That's when sometimes, you know, experience, uh, experience comes in. So just trying, you know, hire, hire amazing people and just align them uh, to work together and, uh, you know, make disciplined business decisions. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, we get to a stage in our career where we carry a lot of uh, 
experience, right? We carry a lot of things that we've learned along the way. Uh, the younger workforce seems to be uh, almost trending away from caring about what our experience is. Uh, and, you know, uh, we made reference earlier to, uh, in the thought leadership component, to uh, an article where it's talking about that less than one in 10 Gen Zers value experience and knowledge as critical quality in a manager. Uh, they would prefer to have integrity, honesty. Uh, it, it makes for a very interesting, I mean, we were brought up with, you know, you learn the experience, you listen to everybody around, you take the good and the bad and the ugly from everybody that ever taught you. And now it really is about making sure that you're carrying integrity. How, how do you find that balance? Uh, well, I mean, I think the young people, well, one is everything is fast. Everything's fast for them, like probably faster than it was when I was, you know, that age, you know, like a 28 year old professional. So everything for them is faster. The world is faster. Digital is faster. So when they're working with more experienced people, um, I think their perception is it's just not as fast. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the, the part around the integrity you mentioned, I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So I, you know, I, that I think is, it just, they just want to have honest conversations and, um, and I think they want to sit at the table more than they think. Uh, so that's where I think it's important. If you want if you want to bring them in and you want to grow them, uh, knowing that they're just wired a little bit differently, you just got to, you know, bring them at the table and just it, expose them. And uh, you'd be surprised how, how you know, you, you can influence them to, to appreciate, you know, what they're going to learn with experienced people around them. No, I was just going to continue a little bit on on that vein, and you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, jobs and security and longevity of employment have uh, certainly changed uh, in time. Um, you know, it's it's not uncommon to have a very high sense of satisfaction of your job or very high sense of uh, engagement, but still leave to go somewhere else. So for those of us that are a bit older and used to, uh, you know, people staying around when they're actually satisfied with their job, this is a whole area that we continue to have to deal with with uh, with employees. I, I, I'm sure you see some of that with uh, within the new environment as well. Uh, yes, I mean the I, I mean call it the, the younger workforce. Um, again, it just comes back to they just want to move up or sideways just so much faster. So it is a little bit more difficult to, I would say, to to manage than it may have been like 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, but we have to adapt too. I think, you know, leaders that are, you know, call them more experienced leaders also have to adapt. That is the workforce that we need to work with. So we have to figure it out. Uh, that's important. So in this digital first world, uh, it's quite interesting that your strategy is about opening more brick and mortar stores. Can you explain how uh, it fits, you know, how you fit the brick and mortar and e-commerce together? Uh, so the uh, like we call this sort of an omni experience. So we want the customer to shop in the store and shop shop on our you know digital commerce. So we want them to shop in both areas. Um, you know the, uh, the post pandemic, it's been interesting to see that people still go to malls. The malls are jammed. The jo they're jammed. You go to the U.S. malls, there is a lot of people. People are still shopping in the malls. Young people, older people, families. People went back to the malls. Um, so it is about creating that seamless experience. So if you walked into a store and you wanted, you know, the red polo and we didn't have your size, we should be able to click click two things and, and get it to your house within, you know, 48 hours. So, you know, that's what's important is just making sure that our customer has a seamless experience, whether it's digital or in the store. But not all malls are created equal, right? I mean, when you decide your next openings, which which what are you looking for? Uh, well, we're looking for, for sure, like high traffic malls. 
Um, location still remains one of the most important decisions you make in retail um, in terms of your brick and mortar. So you got to make sure you go to the right mall and the right you know location in the mall. So it's it's uh, it's uh, it's these. You know we're we're a premium brand, so for sure we're going into a lot of pre- a lot of the premium. Uh, malls uh, in the U.S. Uh, and in Canada, so that's an important strategy for us. Yeah, the the, the whole concept. I mean, we, we obviously for the longest time the the whole goal was the website was to or the the online was to drive us to retail. Now it's almost the opposite, right? The 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 retail is to drive us to 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 the online. Um, where are you looking to expand? Can you give us some of the insight in terms of I don't necessarily mean in Canada, around the world. What are what are some of the plans going forward, and 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 some of the the environments you're looking at? We're pretty present in the uh, in the Latam world. If you think of like Mexico and Colombia and Panama, um, twenty twenty five, we are really really going to try and focus on opening in Europe. Initial thoughts are around you know Spain and France, uh, just because they're the right climates for us. You know we're we're a we're a uh, a little bit of a uh, audacious brand, just in terms of uh, you know colors in our blood, as we say. Um, and, and, you know, in these and in these warmer climates, like the product is uh, is very desirable. So I think those two European markets will be the uh, the initial uh, foray into 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 the Euro- European markets. And for the last little bit, I mean, it would be, we'd be remiss to not discuss sourcing and, and, and how you're making the product. So where's the where's the product made? What's what are some of your challenges on a sourcing perspective? So all of our products are designed in Montreal. So um, we have an amazing group of designers uh, in Montreal and, uh, you know, Quebec's got great, uh, a great design school. So we're very, very proud of that. Um, so we design all our product, um, everything that has to do with managing how we source our product is all done in Montreal. We manufacture most of our product in Peru because uh, it's very, very um, high quality premium Pima cotton. So most of our production is uh, in Peru. So we work with a number of factories there and have very close partnerships with uh, with uh, the factories there. Interesting. I mean, the one thing obviously that we we continue to face is this discussion on sourcing in terms of ethical sourcing. Uh, this, how do you guys address you know where you're sourcing from and and the ethical component of this? Well, for sure. Like as we as we look at factories and decide whether we're going to work with them, we have you know our own diligence in terms of you know vendor acceptance, vendor compliance. Uh, you know we are on the ground, so we have you know our people go to uh, the factories uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so you got like let's select a factory, and once we're in the factories, we we are continually ensuring that we got like vendor compliance. Anna Martini of Psycho Bunny, thank you so much. You're going to stay with us just a bit longer. We will get you one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in just a few minutes. But first, let's check in with our BDO subject matter expert, Shelley Smith, indirect tax partner at BDO Canada. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Pleasure to be here. So you have some updates for us on the underused housing tax rules. Yes, I am have some very welcome changes that were announced literally the afternoon of uh, of when the filings were due. We got a surprise surprise announcement from Finance Canada. I, we're not used to positive surprise announcements. <laughs> uh, I mean, this, 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 when, when you were here last having this conversation, there was a whole big uh, hullabaloo and, and everybody was kind of panicking in terms of what this was going to mean and where we were going to go with this. And this whole underused housing was it seemed to be a catch all for anybody who, you know, for being taxed for who wasn't living in one of their homes <laughs> at the end of the day. I think this has been clarified a lot. So I think maybe what you, you need 
to do for us is bring us back to what exactly was the UHT uh, and then maybe give us some of the the changes from where it was to where we are now. Yes, it's it's exactly that. I think uh, the government finally heard from uh, from everyone uh, how onerous this uh, this new underused housing tax was all about and uh, made some welcome changes. So, uh, for those of you that aren't uh, aware of what the underused housing tax uh, is, it's it's it was a, a new annual federal tax at the federal government level of one percent tax that was introduced effective for the 2022 taxation years on anyone that owned vacant land um, or vacant property, sorry, not vacant property, uh, that's referred to as the underused housing in Canada. So it, it, it could have been vacant land if you were setting up tents. Yes, you, <laughs> it could have for sure. Um, and it, it was such a wide encompassing uh, definition that it uh, that it impacted a lot of people and it even made practitioners uh, our tax practitioners have to really uh, dig deep into the legislation to uh, to figure out the rules. But basically, it was supposed to apply on vacant or not fully rented residential property. So your single homes, your duplexes, your triplexes, your residential condos. Anything that had a private kitchen, a private bath, and a private living area. And if it wasn't fully rented, um, it would be subject to this tax if it was held by non-residents. That was the intention. Um, it didn't apply to uh, high-rise apartment buildings, hotels, motels, or anything that had more than four dwelling units. So what what are the changes now and, and, you know, will it help people that are impacted by these rules? Because, you know, I, I look back on it and, you know, I, not only were individuals, but I think tax practitioners were a tad squeamish as there's nothing that a tax practitioner hates more is not exactly knowing how this is going to be applied. And I, and I think as we got down to the last minute, a lot of people were very concerned as, as to, you know, who gets who gets caught in the web of, of all of this. So that's exactly it, Mike, and uh, that was something that we brought up uh, at the uh, at our last session when we were on the the radio just before the deadline. Um, there's specific definitions as to whether or not you're an excluded owner or an affected owner, and you could have had the uh, requirement to file, and many people did file, um, if you were what we call an affected owner, and it included, believe it or not, Canadian corporations, partners of Canadian partnerships, and trustees of Canadian trusts um, that are substantially or entirely Canadian-owned. So you had to file, even though you weren't subject to the tax. So you but had that's, an exemption. But that's all, been, that's all been softened, if you will, I guess, at this point, right? Yes. So the good news and... It's hard to it's hard to say the word good news when we're talking about tax in any case, but thank you. Um, That's usually my line, but I'm I, yeah. I'm happy to came from the actual tax practitioner this time. <laughs> yeah. So what what has changed really is basically um, the government has proposed to expand the definition of an excluded owner. So if you're an excluded owner, you don't have to file, don't have to do anything. And now it will include those Canadian corporations, partners of specified Canadian partnerships and trustees of Canadian trusts. 
So eliminating the need for these owners now to file this UHT return and claim an exemption. So that's really good news, and it's going to cut down a lot of the filings uh, that were done in 2022. But keep in mind that this proposed change is only beginning with 2023 calendar year. So if you um, were an owner of a residential property um, and you're a specified Canadian corporation, a partner or a trustee that was required to file the UHT return for 2022, and you didn't do so as yet, you have until April 30th, 2024 um, to file, and you still need to file. Um, otherwise, you'll be subject to the penalties. One other very uh, important change was the penalties were extremely onerous. Um, they were $5,000 if you didn't file on time, or if you were an individual, and $10,000, a hefty $10,000 per filing. Uh, where the owner is a corporation. This is reduced now to $1,000 for individuals and $2,000 for corporations. So a significant reduction in the penalties for non-filing. There's no transitional component. I mean, you're telling me that if you were supposed to file, even though the rules are going to change, they're still going to make you file. And if you don't, you're going to pay the $1,000. For 2022, if you didn't file by that April 31st deadline, uh, you have now until April, uh, by that October 31st deadline, you now have until April 30th, 2024 to file. If you don't file, you'll be subject to the penalties. It'll only be for the 2023 year that you will be exempt from filing. Sounds like a lot of paperwork for something that uh, seems to be changing, <laughs> but hey, what do I know? All right. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, you can read more thought leadership and expert advice from the BDO team at BDO.ca. As we come to the end of the show, let's ask our entrepreneur, Anna Martini, CEO of Psycho Bunny, for her one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. My one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs is choose something that you're going to be passionate about and then work really, really hard to make it successful. Thank you very much, Anna Martini from Psycho Bunny, for joining us this week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. You too. Mike, final thoughts, passion? You know, I, I, it sounds like a repetitive story, right? I mean, uh, but every entrepreneur we ask, and as I've, you know, I've said from the beginning of all of this, passion, execution, and the sense of mindfulness. And uh, like I said, I always like to be proven right. So once again, thank you, Anna, for making me look good in some of my commentary. But uh -huh. yeah, it's, you know, it's it's great. And, and Anna, I think it's, you know, our guest today certainly uh, represents uh, Montreal very well and has been an extremely great example of the talent that continues to come out of of this city and it's not only in the tech business it's not you know only in the development and design side it's also in the financial side so uh, it was it was great having Anna on today next week on inspiring entrepreneurs by video canada stephen kickerman fontaine of bokea they make high-end cabinet fronts for ikea products enabling customers to build a custom kitchen while saving money a reminder that you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or your favorite platform. And you can also log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Always a pleasure to work with you, Mike. Great to have you with us this week, Sandra. Thanks so much.
This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.